Support for this podcast comes from Guardian Jobs. Guardian Jobs provides a range of recruitment and branding solutions with access to a monthly audience of 149 million users. They offer a range of innovative talent attraction and content options, ranging from the latest programmatic and behavioural targeting to developing content partnerships on themes such as the future of work and women in tech for organisations like Deloitte and Sky. To find out how they can help you, visit recruiters.theguardian.com. That's recruiters.theguardian.com. There's been more of scientific discovery, more of technical advancement and material progress in your lifetime and mine than in all the ages of history. Hi everyone, this is Matt Alder. Welcome to episode 49 of the Recruiting Future podcast. When industry commentators talk about in-house talent acquisition, there's a tendency towards generalised truisms that seemingly apply to all employers. The actual truth is much more nuanced, and there is a real distinct difference between industries, and in particular between SMEs and large enterprises. My guest this week is David Mason. David has worked at a senior level driving innovation in talent acquisition at a number of very large companies in some progressive industry sectors. Keep listening to hear his thoughts on how talent acquisition has changed and where it's likely to go in the future. Hi, David, and welcome to the podcast. Uh, Thank you very much. So uh, could you introduce yourself and uh, tell everyone a little bit about who you are, what what you do and what you've done? Yes, I'll keep that that very brief. I have been in talent acquisition and resourcing for the last 20 years. I spent the first 10 years of my life in the army. And then the last 20 years has been focused in principally three different industries, um, IT, engineering and financial services. And my background is really nowadays running uh, large-scale talent acquisition and talent management operations. quite focused at um, restructuring, change management, and really trying to bring best practice into what we do as a profession. And um, I think I first met you when you were sort of doing, um, working for the engineering company, uh, it's probably sort of five or six years ago now, maybe even longer. Um, how, how have you seen recruitment and resourcing change um, over, over the last five years? So it's a good question. I think there are three clear areas. One is one of greater professionalism. And what I mean by that is people getting into the science of recruitment and talent acquisition, understanding how it works and some of the component parts. So in all facets, from recruiters up to leaders in the profession, getting a lot more professional. None of these conversations would go... Um, without a uh, mention of technology, it's having a huge impact. Out of all the HR functions, um, resourcing and talent acquisition is one of them that has been mostly affected by what has been going on in the world of technology, whether it be social media, whether it be um, applied artificial intelligence, um, and also everything that's going on in the world of marketing. So um, big, big impacts for us there. And I think the third place is then... um, in some of the more leading companies, 
talent acquisition and talent management really starting to become uh, the fore of what companies are doing. Um, there's been a lot of talk, and it has been a lot of talk around about people being at the heart of what we do, um, recruitment being vital for organisations to move forward. Some companies are now starting to live and breathe that. And I think that's been a very welcome change over the last five years. And has the change been consistent uh, across industries? Do you think um, certain industries are um, uh, doing things differently or ahead um, of, of other areas of the market? Um, no, I, I, I don't believe it to be consistent in any shape or form. And, and I think you know, three things I mentioned are probably held within um, a small group of 10% of the leading companies. Um, maybe 20 if I was being generous and, and, and I have no way to substantiate that. Um, and I think the, the industries I would pick out um, where I've seen some notable success are areas like IT, technology, engineering and maybe pharma and pharmaceutical. Why? Because they have immense pressures on, on their talent pools. They are short of qualified people to do their work. And those industries are expanding or at the forefront of some areas in terms of technology or how we live. And as a consequence, they're finding it very difficult um, to find the right people. It's also absolutely fundamental. It's very easy in those organizations to identify the key talent you need to succeed. Um, and, and it's a very, very easy line to draw that all to the bottom line from a commercial perspective. I think that's interesting, and I um, on on the podcast I've talked to lots of um, heads of resourcing in technology companies who are doing some um, you know kind of amazing things uh, because of the skill shortages they 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 have. Um, I also sort of talk to people in other industries who are kind of really struggling to um, make the kind of changes and reap the sort of benefits that we're that we're talking about. Um, what would your advice be to um, you know someone who is sort of running talent acquisition or, or resourcing um, in an industry that isn't cutting edge in terms of how they could make the most of uh, you know the technology, the difference in approaches, um, you know, to get the best talent for their business. Yeah, uh, um, again, I, I, I'm trying to sort of keep this to sort of three good pieces of advice. One, one would be get a strategy. Um, and what I mean by that is, is really engaging stakeholders. Don't become somebody who is reacting to events. Engage your, your stakeholders um, and start to build a clear roadmap in terms of that. If you're just responding to the bright ideas from, from senior people, um, that's all that's ever going to happen. And you'll have nothing consistent or a platform to build from in terms of that. Um, so that, that's one layer. I think absolutely tied into that uh, third area is really around about um, stakeholder engagement and getting close to um, the business and your key HR stakeholders and, and almost wrapping them up into a virtual team um, and treating them as such. Because without their support and engagement, you're going to find it really very difficult to prosecute anything. And and also, by gaining the confidence, you're able to start pushing the boundaries. If you start doing that from ground zero without that political buy-in, you're going to find it tremendously difficult in the organisation to push forward innovation. I think the, the final point which underpins all of those, both the strategy and the stakeholder, is getting to and being very, very close to the business driver. And um, for me, it's understanding what is important to the success of the business. If you 
Um, I work for CH Jim Hill, which was the first time we, we met. And um, they had um, a, a little book called The Little Yellow Book was all about the culture of the organization and what was important to it. Um, and it ran throughout the, the whole of CH Jim Hill. One of the things it said was if you, um, I'm not sure I'm quoting this exactly right, but basically if you put all of the executive uh, leadership under a bus, um, the company would soldier on for a month or two. If you wiped out all the program and project managers, it would stop trading the next day. And, and it became very, very clear from a talent management and talent acquisition point what was the really important thing to focus on, even to the point that CH Tim Hill would take somebody off the board of the company, the main board, and then they would put them into a major program. So they did that when they were doing the Olympics build. They took somebody from the board and they put them in to be the program director of that. That sent a very, very powerful signal, not only to, to the customers, but also to uh, the industry and everybody inside the organization around about what was important. So I come back to those three points. Be very, very clear on how your business generates money and what are the key positions. Um, because if you can crack that as a recruiter, um, then you're going to get the buy-in to your stakeholders, both in HR and in uh, the business. And then be very, very clear on the strategy, because that's also a very good way to engage everybody about the journey you've got to take them on. You mentioned technology as being uh, one of the sort of most important things that's, that's driven change. Um, what aspects of technology in particular do you think are the most interesting people should pay the most attention to um or, you know what's what's being the most um disruptive element of that okay um so I'll, I'll talk about what i think i've seen the most disruptive over the last um five years um and i think then the next piece we'll talk about is what i think is going to gain to disrupt um the you know certainly our work um over the next five to ten years um, without a shadow of doubt for me, um, that, that has been social media. So, But if we cut through the hype of that, um, what has been for me the most fascinating is our ability to identify the right people to talk to very, very quickly. And whether that's on Facebook or whether that is on LinkedIn or other sort of platforms, what it's enabled us to do is to strike up the right conversation. So when I started in this um, 20 years ago, you know, a leading edge practice was slapping out an advert in the Sunday Times or Computer Weekly or whatever it happens to be, and you get hundreds of responses and you sift through that. What's changed for us is the ability to identify 10 people that we can talk to right away who fit that profile because we can identify it from their Facebook profile or we can identify it from their LinkedIn profile and we can engage in a conversation very, very quickly. So for, for me, that has been a major disruptor because it's, it's allowed us to grow the in-house functions, the RPOs, as probably a different or one of those um, potential streams of ways of doing things besides just using an agency. In terms of the future, um, I think the thing that has... Uh, my attention at the moment is um, what I call applied artificial intelligence. And for a number of reasons. Um, first of all, the ability to genuinely start automating some of the work that we do. Um, and whether that be searching for candidates across multiple sources or whatever it happens to be. Um, and I think 
that will start to have an impact on it. There, there's a piece of work being done by McKinsey's um, and, and a number of the uh, large-scale consultancies, but they are predicting that not that whole-scale jobs will disappear, but that about a third of the content that we're doing today will disappear. And I think that that's very relevant for recruiting. I think the other areas that will impact is, is on smarter marketing and targeting, um, particularly as we get into recruiting the uh, millennial population um, because they are a generation very used to being marketed at um, and uh, operating in that sort of environment. I think the other area which is of huge interest at the moment is really about how it's being applied in selection and the use of psychometric tools but then they're really starting to because we can do better analysis and we can use artificial intelligence to screen through those results um, starting to get better matches into organizations and better fits into roles. And I think that will become very, very, very powerful over the next few few years. And uh, sort of, I suppose, carrying on from that, um, uh, on, the, um, uh, on, the, on the podcast um, uh, a couple of weeks back, um, I was talking to um, Ian from Cisco, who was talking about sort of predictive analytics around talent. Um, how important do you think analytics are um, and and how are they going to develop over the next sort of eighteen months, two years? Yeah, I I, I think um, with all the things, I think they they come into the very very useful tool if used correctly, and and I think it's going to be hugely important. But I think there are also some significant barriers to the implementation of it. So let's talk about the positives first of all. Um, at at a senior uh, level, in terms of talent. And I mean in a much broader things, not not just the talent acquisition resourcing piece. The ability to predict attrition, to predict structures of organisations and what you will need to do that um, will be hugely influential in terms of um, our roles over the next sort of 10, 20 years. Um, And I think it will become much, much more common sort of use and certainly in the leading edge organisations predict what they need in the workforce um, build scenarios very, very quickly and do the sort of what-ifs and the, and the predictive side of it. So um, I, I agree with that comment. I think it's extremely powerful, um, and I think it will be certainly become one of the, sort of the best practice ways of working as we work our way through the technology. Um, I think some of the challenges that we face around that is, first of all, we're at the early stages of adopting and using that technology, Um, with all the pitfalls that come with that. Um, And the second element, and I think this is more crucial, is that one of the things I've observed is the ability of senior leadership, both HR and and commercial, to absorb technology changes is getting less and less. Um, So if you look at what's available in in the world of apps um, and probably to small businesses and SMEs and perhaps how they can trade, and what's happening in large corporates, there's starting to be quite a disparity because the large corporates can't absorb that technology or um, can't really see the value or don't have access to it. You know, it's not in the way that they, they operate. And I think that's going to be a fundamental break on some of this technology being adopted. Um, understanding AI requires some understanding of mathematics and reasonably advanced mathematics. Um, and that's not always a skill set that's um, hugely um, in place in a lot of HR departments. 
that's interesting, I think, because um, you know my personal experience is uh, when I've when I've worked with smaller organisations, it's been a lot easier for them to adopt um, new technology than some of the larger organisations, giving them um, giving them an advantage. Um, is that is that something that's going to be solved? Do you think? Um, is it inevitably going to going to change? Um, what might it sort of look like? Um, you know, a few years down the track. Um. I, I'm not. I'm not sure. I'm not um, entirely hopeful of that because I think if you operate in large organisations, there is um, a very strong. Um, I, I almost say paranoia, but it's probably justified in terms of around security and particularly um, web security, um, and they find it very, very difficult to get over that that point in terms of adapting and balancing risk. So um, if you take um, a, a tool like um, Slack.com, um, which, you know, if you're running a small business or you're running a sort of medium-sized enterprise, will be, you know, a fantastic tool. And there's a couple of collaboration tools that has. The sheer um, procurement process or bring that on inside or onto sort of platforms or actually melding that into a large corporate process would be fairly prohibitive and in terms of that and would, would build significant cost into the platform. So I, I think that is not necessarily going to be solved by companies being in the current structure. I think as we go forward, companies are starting to find out that they need to be much more fluid in reaction to the marketplace. And only when... Um, that starts to break down some of the traditional hierarchical structures where we start to see that technology perhaps um, ha- having a faster adoption um, in um, larger corporates. So final question. Um, you, you've talked about um, applied artificial intelligence and automation. And I think that, um, you know, just looking at, um, you know, looking across all industries, that there is a, an inevitability about um, the, the, the take up of the, the growth of that. Um, where where do the humans fit in as far as recruiting's concerned? Could you ever replace all of a recruiter with an algorithm? No, <laughs> um, I, I think I think actually, and it's interesting. I was involved in a couple of conversations over the last few few weeks about this. I think there is a a drive back to um, human contact. What we're and certainly in my mind, what I have is a, a vision of. Um, recruiters and talent acquisition consultants having a focus on the uh, working with the line manager and the key sort of candidates for a role and um, possibly where where appropriate some some keep warm activities whether it's with a sourcing function or with a, a recruiter for high value candidates to to those organizations i think that human contact I think particularly when we start to talk about employer brands and engaging people is going to be absolutely vital if you're going to win the best talent. You know, an algorithm or a slick piece of software will help, but it will never um, um, at this stage is not going to replace the, the human contact in terms of talking to somebody or somebody explaining about the culture or what the job is and, and the hiring manager or recruiter both being in that process. Um, it's it's interesting, and I think one of my last comments is, you know, one of the things I've noticed uh, with a little bit of sadness um, over the uh, last um, probably six months, and it's been brought more to my attention, 
is the still the lack of candidate care, um, a good old customer service that is going on in our industry, both in-house and in the, the agency or the supplier world. Um, and I think um, somehow, I think the organizations that do that the best are going to give themselves a really, really great competitive advantage um, because it's not difficult. I couldn't agree with you more. David, thank you very much for talking to me. Thank you very much. My thanks to David Mason. You can subscribe to this podcast on iTunes and on Stitcher. You can find all the past episodes of the show at www.rfpodcast.com. On that site, you can also subscribe to the mailing list and find out more about working with me. Thanks very much for listening. I'll be back next week and I hope you'll join me. This is my show.